The Indie Ball season is starting to wrap up, and we're going to break it all down here on this episode of the Indie Ball Report Podcast. All right, we're back again. Episode number 77, according to my notes, of the Indie Ball Report Podcast. Nick and Will bringing you all the news in independent league baseball over the past week and of course we're going to break down a lot of the circuit leagues that happen today obviously some of them are wrapping up now others have another week some even have another two weeks and then uh, some have already finished their run or will finish this weekend so we got a lot to talk about and also we'll probably go a little bit in depth into the future of i'm, per- I'm gonna say just minor league baseball in general but It'll probably spiral into baseball as a whole here because I did go on a bit of a rant over the past week about uh, Major League Baseball and how uh, they don't understand how to reach the demographic they want to reach. It's definitely been frustrating uh, to watch the MLB, especially with minor league baseball and what they're trying to do now, which we'll get which we'll get into a little later. It, it, a lot of it is profit driven, which I mean it's a business and I get it, but at the same time it. It, it's not the the right strategy if you're trying to bring new fans into the game like you continually claim you're trying to. Exactly. Sports are one of those businesses, and I mean every business operates, or at least should be operating at like a 5, a 10, and a 15 year plan, especially a sport like baseball where there's no denying the demographic that watches is older. You need to really be thinking long term here, and that's something they seem to not fully grasp, or at least... They don't seem to want to understand that that's how you grow the game and then eventually grow your profit line. But that's all a discussion for the back part of the show. We do have some actual baseball to talk about, and we will talk about that now. We'll start, as always, with our American Association talk. And there is a little bit of news from the American Association before we get into the actual uh, play, which is uh, yesterday, meaning Thursday, it was announced that the association would extend their championship series from five games to seven games. It'll still begin on the 12th of September, so that's roughly two weeks from now. And the regular season will end on September the 10th, so that's, again, about two weeks from now. Obviously, we have only a handful of games left, and as it would appear here, Winnipeg is kind of in a tailspin. Chicago is just about done, and we have a huge fight for second place in the American Association. And when I was first writing down the notes for the news about extending the championship series, I decided to make the note, because it was in the press release, that should Winnipeg make the playoffs, all the games will just be at one park. So it'll just be at whatever other team is uh, is playing in the championship series home park, which makes the most sense. You might as well just generate revenue for at least one park that's kind of missing out on it. But now, as it would appear after uh, last night's games, Winnipeg may not have to worry about that anymore. And I'll dive, and we'll dive in uh, much heavier on Winnipeg in just a second. But they work better as the second team to cover. As first, I do want to just kind of write off Chicago real quick because at, at this point, uh, I think it's safe to say they're kind of uh, well dead in the water. They're five and a half out of first. They're three and a half out of the last. Uh, well, playoff position. They're 21 and 26 on the year, a four and six record over the last 10. And it just seems to me like they've stopped hitting. The pitching's fine, but generally speaking, I think at this stage, the dogs would really need a miracle to kind of make the postseason here as there's just such a log jam for second place. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think you hit the nail on the head. I think as far as the dogs, 
they need to they need to go absolutely they need to become absolutely white hot over the next couple of weeks if they want to try and, and uh, sneak into the second spot that we we see such a logjam for above them already between St Paul now Winnipeg and and the Sioux Falls Canaries so I, I think you're right that we we've talked about how the dogs they they need their offense if they're going to uh if they're if they're going to win games and unfortunately. Um, they haven't been hitting very well lately, and of course, um, you got to give some credit to Milwaukee, who they've played a lot lately, and Milwaukee's pitching staff has just been terrific, and uh, they've really put uh, shut down the dogs uh, over the pa- in their last series when Milwaukee took two of three from them. Specifically, last night, Drew Hutchinson, the former former Toronto Blue Jays right-handed pitcher. Uh, he, he was absolutely outstanding. Gave up one hit over five innings, striking out nine. Um, and so I, I think you're right, Nick. I think it's probably time to, to write off the dogs, barring anything, barring a miracle like you mentioned. And I, I think it's, it's going to be a really exciting uh, battle for second place uh, between St. Paul, Winnipeg, and, and Sioux Falls. It, it's going to be a real photo finish. Absolutely. I mean, at this point, there's about 13 games left in the season, if I'm right on that, uh, because like I said, there's about two weeks left and it just, it doesn't seem like there's going to be enough time for them just to catch up. And the series against Milwaukee kind of put them in their place. Uh, we both mentioned their hitting's cooled down. I have some of the numbers as a team. They batted 171 this week. There was an on base of 263 and they slugged under 300. Uh, I mean, yeah. hell, and just as a team batting wise, they were 37 for 217. That's not going to be good enough to really, you know, win you games. I mean, the team pitching, like, like I said, it was fine. Uh, they had yeah. ERA under four and actually three, ni- 389 to be specific so it wasn't bad i mean there were some guys that did well luke westfall did very well this week in my opinion i mean Mm -hmm. 13 innings two starts uh 1.39 era only walked two guys only allowed six hits two runs that's a those are two pretty good starts out of them i mean you can't really complain there even jd busfield had a good start he went seven innings allowed one run three hits two walks i mean in seven innings of work it's really not bad but when your whole team just basically comes down to three guys getting on base and realistically only one of those guys producing at a notable level. Obviously that would be uh, Turtislavich. He was the only one batting, I believe, above 300 this week for him. It's not good enough, especially for a team like we've said in the past. They're kind of the inverse of Milwaukee. If the hitting dies on them, they're done. Yeah. It, it, it's clear that they kind of ran out. The guys like Victor Roach, uh, Edwin Arroyo, uh, they just kind of have disappeared. Logan Moore, he was good to kind of get going, but now he's kind of regressed a bit. He's, I mean, he's still not batting terribly, but not the level that that you need to see. Michael Krause had a less than admirable week. I mean, he batted under 200. On base was all right. He was 387, but even still, uh, when you only come, well, he did come around to score six times. He had six runs scored, but even still, eh, it's not great. There really isn't that many guys you could point to in the lineup and go, oh, we're afraid of pitching to them this week, and that's just mm-hmm. not going to fly, obviously. And I mean, the relief pitching, I think, was arguably more of a problem than the starters were this week, if we're going to pick at them. But even still, I think at this point, it's just kind of trying to find straws to pick at for them. Really, the whole story comes down to the lack of hitting. Yeah, I think, I think there isn't really too much to say about it. I think you... I think you you, you said pretty much everything when, when their when their offense doesn't hit that they're, they're not really going to go anywhere you use 
worded it perfectly when you said they're the inverse of the inverse of Milwaukee. And so as a team that I was really, really high on coming into the year, that being the Chicago Dogs, definitely, definitely a disappointing year for them, barring a, a crazy winning streak in the last two weeks. Uh, but I think it's pretty much for it's a four team race. I think we can say pretty comfortably at this point. Yeah, at this stage, we kind of all know who it is, which I do want to just pose one question before we move on to the other teams in the league this week, which are just really the guys that are in the in the playoff hunt at this point. Out of all the teams in the league, do you think Chicago had the most disappointing season? Because there's a case to be made that, yeah, <clears throat> Chicago's the most disappointing because they had such great talent coming into the season. They were should have been a lot better than they were, just based off of the roster. And then they kind of really never hit their stride. They always seem to be kind of piecemealing together weeks where they'd have a good week, then they'd have an average week, then they have a bad week, and then they have a bad week, and then it was average. And it just looks like at this point, if they finish 500, it'll be a solid year for them. But they yeah. really, I feel like they should have been better than they were, just with the roster they had assembled. I've also seen people go, no, a team like Fargo Moorhead was more disappointed because of how well they did last year and how they returned a lot of the guys and they even added some pieces. But I'm, I'm just curious to know, like, do you think that Chicago's that team that's at this point, at least, is the kind of the most disappointing team? I think it definitely is. I think, um, certainly, I think, I, I think Chicago is a little bit better than Fargo Moorhead. But at the same time, I, I think they had, during the preseason, the dogs were my pick to, to were my pick to go to the to the finals against Winnipeg, and uh, unfor- and they, they and again I still see a lot of talent here, and unfortunately they were never really able to put it together. Started off kind of slow, and it was kind of uh, kind of me waiting for well maybe maybe um, maybe it's kind of a result of uh, short like spring training, kind of waiting for them to hit their stride. Even in a sixty game season, you don't want to write anybody off after 10, 15, 20 games, and they just never they, – they showed that glimpses – they showed glimpses, I believe, that they had one week, uh, two, three weeks ago, where you started to say, oh, maybe they're starting to put it together. But then they uh, then they ran into the buzzsaw that currently is the Milwaukee Milkmen, and they fell back down towards the bottom of the league again. So I, I think basically lo- looking at their talent, I, I know I'm definitely more familiar with the Atlantic League than any other league you see a lot of guys who were, had a lot of success in the Atlantic League last season and you kind of you're kind of less scratching your head about why why a team like the dogs isn't it, it, it isn't performing up to up to their capabilities and I, I still do think that they're very talented I think on paper they're still one of the better teams unfortunately they they just haven't put it together this year they haven't the the pitching and the offense haven't they've put it together in spurts they've put it together uh at different times but they haven't they haven't put it together at the same time and unfortunately that is when that happens that that even though sometimes stats improve on either side it doesn't lead to many wins which at the end of the day is all that matters yeah you basically said it there they're a great team on paper but games aren't played on paper they're played on the field and when the paper results don't transfer to the on the field results it's not going to end well and at this point for me I'm kind of in the boat where I do agree they're kind of a disappointing team I think for me that may change though depending on who makes the postseason and who doesn't I think yes sir if our if the next thing we're going to talk about here in Winnipeg doesn't make the postseason 
I think they can steal that crown outright. They, this is a team that should not only make the postseason, they should have, they looked like they should have won the league. I mean, like, they played so well for so long, and now, as we transfer to talk about them, they sit third place in the league as we record it. They're 25 and 23. Technically, they're tied for second place, but St. Paul does hold that mantle over them at the moment. They had a two and eight week where it was just nothing really went right for Winnipeg this past week. They were swept in four games by Fargo Moorhead, which yep. was just something that we, we didn't really think was going to happen. The hitting just puttered out. The pitching just kind of died out. I mean, they were 1-for-2 against Milwaukee, 0-for-4 against Fargo-Moorhead. It's just, I don't really know what the hell happened to them. I mean, last week, I went ahead and I said, look for them. I'm not really concerned about them missing the playoffs. For them, their worst-case scenario is just not being the number one seed there, but they should make it. And when I was saying that, part of my mind was like, how much do you believe in that statement? How much do you genuinely think they're not going to miss? And there was a large... There was a non-significant portion, I don't want to say large, but there was a non-insignificant portion of me that was saying, maybe, maybe they're not as bulletproof, they're not really looking as well as they did before, they're not winning these games with these wide margins anymore, but they were still performing, and now, that just seems to have changed entirely. I, I gotta say, I gotta, I was definitely wrong when I said last, I really, I honestly wasn't concerned about Winnipeg, because at the end of the day, Base in, in baseball, no matter how good your team is, you're always going to have in a in a season which is longer, even in 60 games. There's no there's no team that just absolutely just tears it up for 60 for 60 straight games. It, it doesn't happen. Maybe like the 108 win Red Sox from a couple from from 2018. Maybe you could make the case about them. But other than that, in in baseball, there, there's you're going to go through slumps, and that's kind of what I felt like uh, during last week's show. I said, "Look, listen, there, there's still so much talent here. I know they didn't have a good week, but it, it really just got worse." And I think you, you gotta you gotta look at their offense. I mean, last that's last week, an offense that's been pretty good for for the most part this season. They hit 191 as a team, and you look at guys that that they really need to perform. Dario Pisano uh, led the team in batting average this week at 280, which is solid. Second place, John Nestor, 217. <laughs> when your second best hitter for the week hit 217, like, and went five for 23 at the plate this week, I that's not. I mean, it's it's not only is it not good. I mean, it's crushing. And not to mention, you face the the worst team in the league with certain with definitely the worst pitching staff in the league. There's just no excuse for it. And I mean, you look a little deeper into the numbers in, in the 220 at bats they had as a team. They struck out 56 times, which was 25, which means they struck out 25 percent of their plate appearances this week. One out of every four Winnipeg Gold Eyes plate appearances this week resulted in a strikeout. And you're not you're just not going to win games like that. Maybe your pitching can bail you out in uh, in a couple of those games, but they didn't they didn't get that pitch. I mean, you look at um, Brendan Compton and, and Mitchell Lampson had nice weeks uh, for the starting rotation, but even guys like Frank Duncan and, and Victor Capion had rough weeks. Jose Jose, Kevin Hilton. Yeah, the only one from the bullpen that looked decent was Ken Hasler. I mean, he only, yeah. you had three in the third innings pitched. He only allowed one run, two hits, right. two walks. But even then, I mean. 
he's one guy. He can't do that much work. I, I mean, know. and like you're saying here with the with the offense, when you bat two oh three as a team, that's not going to be good enough. When you only score twenty three runs on a whole week, it's not good enough, especially against, like you said, an atrocious pitching staff in Fargo Moorhead. It's, I don't know how you do that. I mean, they yeah. allowed seventy one hits. You allowed eighty eight base runners. Like that's a lot. Yeah. And how many games they played this week? They played about what seven. Six? Yeah, they played seven. Yeah, they played seven. So you're allowing more than 11 runs a game. Or not, not runs, 11 hits a game or 11 base runners a game. Allowing yeah. 10 hits a game and about what? What does that work out to? About two walks a game? It just, and that's, I I don't know what happened. It's just like it's a tailspin. I don't know. Yeah. Like, it's disappointing. But here, here's what I'll say, though. I'm not giving up on them. I, I think the, the, there's still there's time to turn this around. There's two weeks left. At the end of the day, look, they were in first place for the vast majority of the season. I get it. At the end of the day, they're they're tied for the second playoff spot. They have time. They can get it together. They they still have a lot of talent. I still believe in the starting rotation. I think the lineup, I think there's no way, there's no other way to say this other than I don't think the lineup can possibly be worse than they were last week. There's there's pretty much nowhere to go but up for that group. I mean, to be I, fair, I, Chicago hit worse than them this past week, so they could go to Chicago level. <laughs> I mean, I, I I still believe in them. I honestly do think they're going to end up as the second as the uh, second team taken on Milwaukee. I'm I'm gonna stick to that for now, but. It was a failure of epic proportions this week. I mean, they've lost six in a row coming going into their weekend series. Uh, so that's going to start tonight. It's brutal. There's no, there's really no other way to say it other than it, it was a brutal week for this offense. The pitching staff wasn't good, and they need to turn it around. And the, their turnaround needs to start tonight. There's no more. There's no more time to wait around. They, the turnaround needs to start tonight. Yeah, and that losing streak is the longest of any team in the American Association thus far this season. So I, wow. I imagine with what's games are remaining, I don't think anyone's going to top that losing streak either. So, I mean, that's just, it's a weird thing to see there. And I mean, they, it's not like they have that easy of a schedule the rest of the way. They have three in Fargo, which I say in Fargo, I'm not sure they're technically a home team or not, but they're on the road the rest of the way uh, to the end. Three in Chicago, three in St. Paul, and then three in Milwaukee to end the year. I, yeah. Like, I just see that schedule, though, and I think I'm not sure if I believe in them enough to win those games. I, I can't vote for them in that much confidence with Fargo. They just lost four in a row there. Chicago's objectively a better team than Fargo is. So even if you want to say they go one and two in each of those series, so now you're two and four, you're going into St. Paul to play a very hot St. Paul team that we'll talk about in just a minute. For sure. So, I mean, even if you chalk up best case scenario, you manage to catch them on their heels. You go two and one against them. Okay, great. Now you're what, four and five against going into Milwaukee. And you're hoping that Sioux Falls kind of teeter off and you hope that St. Paul kind of teetered off. And right. it still comes down to a big day, week against Milwaukee. Yeah, at the end of the day, if you, if what happens, if that's actually what happens, and Winnipeg goes like four and five over the next nine, St. Paul and Sioux Falls, they're not going to be like one of them is gonna is gonna have like a six and three week or something or so, or something like that. 
and that's not something they can afford. But I don't know. I as, as an analytics guy, I love playing the percentages. I'm not ready to give up on them yet. They have they have a good opportunity tonight to start to get to um, start picking it up against Fargo against Fargo Moorhead, which I know I know Fargo Moorhead was good this past week, but I I, I still I, I think things will even out and. I still believe in them. I really do. But again, like I mentioned before, the, the turnaround's got to start now. Yeah, absolutely. It's just something else of note. And for the next thing we're going to talk about, Sioux Falls. Sioux Falls does have the benefit of their last seven games are against Chicago. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's a huge. True. Actually, their last 10 games outside of this, la- this next three game set that starts tonight in St. Paul, they have 10 games between Chicago and Fargo Moorhead. Yeah, that's a bit, that's a huge advantage for them. That really is. I mean, and we're going to talk about them right now. They went two and one against Fargo Moorhead this week. They went one and two against St. Paul this week. It works out for a 500 week. They're five and five over their last ten. They are a half game out of a playoff spot, two and a half games out of the top spot, and they they're hitting again. They're hitting again. Their pitching is not really there, but they're hitting, which is yeah. obviously a plus. Uh, Damick Tomshay, he batted 500. On base of 581, and he slugged 731. I mean, he had 13 hits this week, five walks, a solid week just getting on base. I mean, he makes a strong play for player of the week, to be quite honest with you. Even Logan Landon is starting to get in on the act. He had a very nice slash line, too. He had 12 hits. And Morales, he was, I believe, leading the team on on base percentage at 435 this week, too. So it's not like he wasn't contributing either. I believe there was like five other guys that were also hitting very strong this past week for them, too. The bullpen looked very good. They got some really quality starts. All the, or, well, not really quality, but they got some qualities out of uh, uh, Danish. I mean, the rest of them, not particularly there, but the bullpen did their job. And all in all, they seem to be yeah. finding their stride again. I mean, they hit their little bit of a snide, and now they seem to be coming back around. Yeah, I think I, I think you, you, you put it perfectly. Their offense, I mean, and Thompson was just absolutely ridiculous this week. And, and normally... If you go, if, if you hit 500 in a week, you're a pretty easy bet for, uh, for a player that, for either me or Nick picking you for player of the week. However, there, there were so many guys just on it. Sorry to go off topic a little yeah. bit, but my goodness, when, when I'm looking for player of the week this week, there were so many options. There were so many guys who absolutely hit the cover off the ball this week. And Thompson and Landon were certainly up there. And, um, and, and you're right. The bullpen, uh, specifically, you look at you look at Nico Blank and uh, Kevin Steele. It, it was a, it was a really it was a really nice week for them. Unfortunately, uh, it was a really it was it was a nice week uh, last night. Should we, should we talk about last night, or should, or would Canaries fans rather us, you know, like kind of skip over look, what, you, what happened? Last you night? surrender eleven runs in one inning. You're getting talked about one way or the other. So it doesn't really matter what they want at the moment. Yeah, I mean that. I they they had a, they had a good week, but uh, last night was a, d- a disaster, I guess you could say. But I mean, listen, it's baseball; it's one loss. At, at the end of the day, I mean, they lost fourteen to two to a red hot St. Paul team, and uh, I'm willing to write it off uh, just because they have been playing well of late. Um, and specifically on the offensive side. And I think you mentioned, and, and like you mentioned, the remaining schedule against Chicago and Fargo Moorhead, two, again, two pitching stats that have not been uh, very good at all this year. I think it's a perfect opportunity for Sioux Falls 
to continue to hit. I think they they have um, on paper they have probably the upper hand to get the number the number two spot. I, I still think Winnipeg will eventually figure it out and and take that number two spot. I know you you probably disagree about that, mm-hmm. but I, I think it, it's going to be a great series. I cannot wait for the Sioux Falls. St. Paul series that starts tonight. It's it's gonna be really exciting, and uh, it, it's gonna and it could potentially be uh, a contention, uh, kind of an eliminator type of series if if it, there's a sweep one way or the other. Oh, absolutely, a sweep either way, it will knock out the other team. It's as simple as that. It turns all of a sudden into a two horse race from a three horse race for that final spot. The one thing I will say about them this week, though, if you look at the opponent slash line against their pitching, uh, you have them batting three seventeen on average against them. 381 on base against them, and then 388 slugging against them. So clearly they're getting on base against them. Uh, team ERA was 528, 20, 529 against. So it's not great. They're still allowing yeah, runs. Point. They're still allowing guys to get on. So I do wonder if that, and I don't want to call it an underlying number because it really isn't underlying, but it isn't one that jumps out at you. And I do wonder if that's something that just kind of says, oh, well, they got lucky. Oh, they maybe were turning uh, double plays and whatnot. I know Winnipeg turned a triple play this week too, which is yeah. good for them. But yeah, but um, I, I think that I think that's a really interesting point you bring up that they that uh, they could be could be due for some regression. Uh, maybe this week. You're right. Uh, th- there's specifically when I'm looking at uh, on the in the MLB level when you look at when I'm looking at pitchers who are kind of look at are kind of primed for regression. I kind of look at I look at uh, a stat called left on base percentage. Which is if their ER maybe they don't give up a run that inning, but they they loaded the bases and then they got uh they got like a shallow fly ball and then or a double play and they got out of it, which mm-hmm. is certainly good for them. But again, it, it does baseball doesn't always work like that, and eventually that luck is going to turn. So you're right now that now that I look at that 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 could be um that that could definitely be concerning for them. That, that's a that's a, that's an interesting point actually. <clears throat> That's just kind of my my concern at that point, just because you see that, and you just look at the great offense they've had. Even if you say, okay, well the pitching improves a bit, if the offense regresses, then are you still going to have enough offense to beat back a, a really strong battery of teams? Like we've said our piece about Chicago today, and how you know they're not really doing great batting, and they kind of died out. They still do have dangerous bats. Like I don't want to undersell them. And you still could see an Edwin Arroyo, Turtoslavich, a Casey Hobson, a Victor Roach, Logan Moore. There's still bats there. You play them seven times in the last. All they really need to do is hit you three games. Yeah. I mean, if, you, if you go four and three against them and you're, let's just say, three and three in the other six games you play, you're a game above 500. You're really banking on St. Paul not jumping ahead and Winnipeg not finding their stride. And that's just yeah. the thing that concerns me because they're just such an ebb and flow team, Sioux Falls. Because if you remember, they were they were either in first or second place in the league for a while there in July, and then they kind of fell off in August for the first couple of weeks, and now they're starting to charge back up. It just seems like a really ebb and flow team here. And I'm just like, I'm not that concerned about it, but it's something that if they were to regress, I wouldn't be totally shocked by it at all. You know, and you, you, you bring it up and I, I think it's, I, I think it's a good point. And I think when you, when you look at Chicago specifically, Chicago is, is a team that obviously they have a ton of power and yeah. 
more base runners against them is potentially a lot bigger problem than a lot of base runners against St. Paul, just because St. Paul's offense, it, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty solid, but a lot of it is, is kind of a keep the line moving type hmm. of offense when Chicago is not. So I think in that way, if they were to allow a similar amount of base runners uh, against them this week, um, after the St. Paul series, obviously this weekend, but yeah. again, against Chicago, I think that could be a bigger problem against a team like the Dogs, where you could, instead of having those one, two run innings, they could easily turn into four or five, kind of similar to what we saw in last night's game again, um, last night's Canary Saints game, I think it could be a bigger problem facing the Dogs than it is uh, against the Saints. If that makes sense? Yeah, no, it absolutely does. I mean, we saw that happen not that long ago. I think it was only about two weeks back that Chicago was trailing in the ninth, shot ahead, took a lead. Now Sioux Falls wound up winning that game. They tied it up in the ninth and then won it. I believe in either the eleventh or thirteenth. They wound up walking the Dogs off, but even still. They allowed them to crawl right back in. They scored something like nine runs in that inning. And that's something that's a bit concerning is that they're just prone to big innings. They're prone to games that this just kind of seems to happen. And that's uh, and down the stretch when you have 13 games left, you have three or four of those games. That could be all it takes to sink you. Just, yeah, yeah, no doubt. Just because of the competition that you're going against here. But enough on the Canaries. We'll go now to really the last team that deserves some real mention this week in the association, which is St. Paul. Uh, same record as Winnipeg at this point, 25 and 23. They were six and four in the week. They're two games out of first, but they do hold the final playoff spot. So they are technically second place in the association. And now the guy that probably upstages guys like, uh, Adam Brett Walker, Dan McTomshay for a player of the week. Max Murphy. Yeah. Yeah, he batted 600. On base of 677. Slugging just under 1,000. Seven extra base hits. 15 total hits. 10 runs scored. He walked six times. I don't really know what to say. Uh, he found his groove this week. Uh, Mikey yeah. Reynolds also got back into doing what he was doing to start the year. And he is now batting uh, about 360. A little over that. And he also had five extra base hits, 12 total hits. He got on base a lot this week. Oh, yeah, they also have four batters that are have a batting average above 280 and above 333 on base. Uh, they have four guys like that, six total batters that have an on base above 300, too, for what that's worth. Uh, so mm -hmm. safe to say they're getting on base. Uh, they're hitting. Yeah, the pitching's also working pretty good for them at the moment, too. I, I think you, you nailed it. St. Paul, Paul's red hot, and uh, specifically... What what an incredible week for for Max Murphy. I mean, hit, hit twelve going twelve for twenty two at the plate, four doubles, a home run, six RBIs, five walks. I mean, my goodness, I, the, the, you 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 dream of that as, as a professional baseball player, ha having weeks like that coming down the stretch when your team really needs wins to keep themselves in the playoff race. And like like I kind of mentioned earlier about St. Paul. Their team, their hit, their team hit 285 this week. Not really a ton of power because that's not how they, that's not how they get it done. But um, their um, keep, their keep the line moving type of strategy uh, on offense really worked out well for them this past week. And and it, on the pitching side of it, uh, the the start the starting rotation was solid, but um, but the bullpen specifically ha had a great week. I mean, you look at guys like Jose Velez. 
and, and Jamison McGrain, who had, who had really, really nice weeks out of the bullpen to back up the stars. Aaron Brown as well had a, had a real nice week out of the bullpen. So I think, um, so St. Paul's playing really well right now. And again, we, we mentioned it from, from the Sioux Falls perspective, but it, it's a, it's a massive week, uh, for the St. Paul Saints. I, I, w- I wish I knew off the top of my head, uh, who they have, who they have pitching for them tonight. I'm not a hundred percent sure off, off the top of my head, but it, it, it's a big week. They're, they're going to be at home. Uh, they're going to be at home against St. Paul and, a sweep could really turn the tide to them. It could really uh, catapult them into into a, into a two man race. It's gonna be it's really gonna be a fun series. Oh, again, uh, they're home the rest of the way, and that's something that's a big plus for them too. And the fact that they could wind up playing in their home ballpark potentially, I mean, obviously depends a lot on what happens with Milwaukee. Although I think at this point it's safe to say they're making the postseason. But regardless, yeah. the fact that they could wind up playing in the postseason. All their games there, depending, like I said, what happens with Milwaukee and Winnipeg, it would be huge there. Uh, Mike Devine, again, another huge week. And at first, when I was looking through the stats, I saw, oh, all the stars are at the bottom. They probably didn't have a good week. It's probably Devine again. And then I started looking yeah. through. I'm like, no, no. No, all the starters did, for the most part, have a good week. Like, the lone exception is Zimmerman. Everyone else pitched very well. I mean, as a team, they pitched 315 as their ERA. Even yeah. if you want to look at their opponent's uh, slash line, 206, 282, 306. That'll play. It'll work. Certainly it will work. I mean, uh, Matt Parbarieco, again, four innings pitched. His opponent batting average was under 100. He only allowed one walk and one hit. I mean, yeah. even guys like Paul Volker and Brian Glowicki, guys that weren't great to start the year, they found their stride. I mean, they had ERAs of 225 each. Each guy pitched very well. I mean, they each allowed one earned run. Uh, combined, they in eight innings, they only allowed four hits between the two of them. So, I mean, it's yeah. all in all, it's pretty solid. As a team, they hit about 300, too. So, I mean, every metric here, they look solid. They were, they were either getting hits. They got 71 hits this week. They walked about 30 times. They scored about 40 runs. Five were from a home, or five home runs in there. So I suppose more runs off of that. They weren't all just uh, solo home runs, but really they're just firing on all cylinders right now. The starters are finally coming around. The bullpen's finally coming around. And honestly, at this point, with a remaining schedule of every game at home with three against Sioux Falls, three against Milwaukee, three against Winnipeg, and three against uh, Fargo Moorhead, well, yeah, that's probably the most difficult of all the remaining schedules. No doubt. I mean, I still got them as my favorite. They're playing very well at the right time of the year. It's Sioux Falls series tonight. It's going to be huge. Like you said, if they can get a sweep against them, uh, at that point, I just kind of got to pencil them into that number two spot. And we're yeah. all set there. Uh, the Milwaukee series could very well be a preview of the championship series outright. That, that series yeah. is so, so huge. I don't think that could be understated, provi- obviously, uh, pending the outcome of the series before it. But then you have Winnipeg, which could very well be interesting. If the other two series don't go so well, we're still in the middle of a three team dog hunt. I, that series could be the one to watch for next week. And then obviously three against Fargo Moorhead. Those three, they should win. Uh, but obviously as Winnipeg showed us, there is no easy games in this league. So yeah, I'm, I'm very interested to see what the Saints do the rest of the way home. Yeah. They're, they're fi- They're firing on all cylinders. It's good. They're, you said it. They're playing, they're playing really, really good baseball at the right time. I could really see. 
there's really a case for any of these three teams uh, between Winnipeg, St. Paul, and Sioux Falls to, to be in that number two spot. Although, it, it's funny, I, if I could ask you this, Nick. Yep. What team, like matchup-wise, what team do you think is a, is the biggest or maybe is not a do you think any of these three teams is not a great matchup for Milwaukee? So which one's the which team matches up the best against Milwaukee yeah, and Milwaukee like, doesn't like want to see? If you're Milwaukee, who out of these three teams do you not want to see in, in the championship? See, it's tough because they all make a case here. I mean, on one hand exactly, you yeah. go you say, well, St. Paul's really hot right now, and they do have some very dangerous bats. Obviously, Max Murphy's proving that. Uh, Mikey Rounds has been fairly consistent. Alonzo Harris looks good. Uh, Nate Sampson's not been playing bad either. Gelfie's had some very good moments here, so there's a lot of dangerous bats there. And like you said, they're a keep-the-line-moving team. They're kind of a death by a thousand cuts. They're probably not going to wind up hitting four home runs in a game and beating you 5-4. But they could yeah. very well beat you 6-4 and never hit a single home run. So on one hand, there's that. Now, with the counter to that, though, their starting pitching outside of Mike Devine hasn't been that consistent all year. So if you can get a bad start or two, you can really jump on a guy. Mm-hmm. But at the moment, I'd probably go with them. However, Milwaukee, if you're, if you're Milwaukee, you look at Winnipeg and you see a sleeping giant at the moment. Because obviously, out of the three teams, they're probably the most talented lineup head to toe. So you don't love seeing them there. But with the way they've played as of recent, really the whole month, you're not terrified of them. And you prove and you can beat them two and one. So it's not terrible there. Sioux Falls may be the one that kind of surprises people just because of how dynamic the offense can be. However, I'd say out of all of them, they probably match up the worst with Milwaukee. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Just because of that pitching staff. Already have a Milwaukee team that doesn't hit great. They're not a terrible hitting team. Obviously, they have pieces, Adam Brett Walker being the most notable of them. But a poor pitching team against a team that's mediocre at hitting and elite at pitching, I tend to believe that elite pitching can shut down above average hitting. And mediocre pitching allows for mediocre offense to really thrive. So I just see that being the easiest path. And if I'm Milwaukee, I'm kind of rooting for Sioux Falls there. Now, granted, there's also a case being made where, oh, well, like I said, Winnipeg isn't playing great. Plus, you get every game in your own ballpark, which I'm not sure how much that matters to them. But it is a plus. So, I mean, I mean, there's a case to be made for everyone. I will say if I'm Milwaukee right now, the one team I don't want to see is St. Paul just because of how complete of a team they look right now and the fact that their offense, at the moment at least, is the most dangerous of all the three. Yeah, at, at this point, I think I would agree with you, but, but things can definitely change as we've seen. Yep, absolutely. So for me, there's really three series to, or two series rather, to watch for the week, and both of them are St. Paul. It's first St. Paul versus Sioux Falls, and then St. Paul versus Milwaukee. Those two series, I think, are going to really tell us where we stand when we come to do the show uh, this time next week. When we're recording, we're going to be saying either, okay, St. Paul's kind of out of this, okay, Sioux Falls is kind of out of this, or perhaps, depending on what happens with Milwaukee this week, we really haven't uh, talked directly about them, but they're basically, they cruise to a 
nice week. They performed well, and now they're in first place, and they don't show any real signs of giving up first place anytime soon, so there's not much to really talk about with them. But if they have a bad week, even potentially we could have a whole jumble at top of the, uh, atop the standing sport. But I think these two series are really going to tell us all we really need to know about the American Association and who is going to wind up walking into the championship series. Yeah, no doubt. I, I, th- I agree those are two two huge series and like you mentioned it'll tell us where we stand by by this time next week yep absolutely and then just player and pitcher of the week uh for me i think it's pretty obvious who my player of the week is and i think we're gonna probably have the same guy and that be uh, max murphy i really i really really want to give it to adam brett walker this week he's now leading the league in home runs he has 17 he only hit 22 last year in and i believe 98 games so in about 60 games he's doing roughly the same production that he did all last year at least in that metric but despite having a terrific week uh, Max Murphy had a better week Uh, we ran through all the stats already with him but one that we didn't uh, for runs created with him he created just over 16 runs by himself this week so yeah he's definitely the player of the week there Uh, I don't think we're going to have much disagreement there and then yeah yeah, you go you know, ahead for your guy. The, the the only thing I would the only thing I would add is I think in pretty much I would argue in any other week in the entire American Association season, Adam Brett Walker would be the player of the week this week. Just pick the wrong week to uh, go crazy. So I, I agree with you. Max Murphy is also my player of the week for everything uh, for all the reasons you just mentioned. Yeah, and that and also Damic Tomshay also did very well this week. I mean we. We mentioned him earlier too. So really, there was three very viable candidates. There's three very viable choices this week, but uh, you just can't knock a guy that bats 600. It, it, right. it, it just can't be done when you get it on when you get two thirds hits. It's you know. So then my pitcher of the week, uh, we may disagree here, but I went with Luke Westfall. I ran through his numbers a little bit earlier in the show. I'll go back and just run through them again for uh, those that may not. <clears throat> Remember them in 13 innings, so two starts. He had a 139 ERA, two walks, six hits, two runs, both earned, and he just looked pretty damn good. His opponent batting average against was uh, 140, so he did very good on that stat. There was other guys that could have been picked. Mike Devine also was always a choice, but for me, I wanted to go maybe not totally off the board, but a little bit off the board. Go with Luke. There really hasn't been too many positives of uh, Chicago this past week, but Luke Westfold was one of them. He kind of kept them in it. And, uh, yeah, so Luke Westfold's my guy. Yeah, um, we're kind of on the same page this week. So I, I also picked Luke Westfold. All right. So we, we, we're on the same page this week. All right, then. So we both go with those guys. So let's see if the American Association agrees with us. And so uh, before we move on to our Circuit League recap here, I do want to just say, we what do we think is going to be the standings when we record this time next week? Do we think it's going to be Milwaukee, Winnipeg, uh, Sioux Falls? Do we think How do we think that top four is going to shake out? Or do we think Chicago is even going to possibly get back into the mix? I, I think... My, my, my guy, my pick, I'm going to stick with Milwaukee, Winnipeg, St. Paul, Sioux Falls. I'm, for me, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm going Milwaukee, St. Paul, Winnipeg, Sioux Falls. I think right now that I'm just going with the hot hand. 
I think you got to ride the hot hand at this point in the year. I'm not sure if there's any numbers to back it up. I'm not sure if I talked myself into it over the past 15 minutes. I'm not sure what it is, but I, I, I feel like St. Paul is currently that team that's going to snatch up on Winnipeg. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 uh, yeah, I, I think, I think Winnipeg. I still have faith in them, and they're, again, they're still playing Fargo Moorhead. So I, I, I still think that they'll be in second, but we'll see. I, I whiffed on them last week. I could whiff on them a second straight week. All right, so with that, we'll go now to the Circuit League recaps. So these are just some of the more major ones that we mentioned on the show in the past. Uh, we'll do more of a deep dive into the actual players on the leagues when they all wrap up. I believe they're all just about done around the 12th of September. So that's not next week's show. It's probably the week after. So we'll probably just do a whole uh, independent league wrap-up that week. So I guess you could expect that to be the show that comes out on the 19th of September. So for about a month. Eh, three weeks from now, we'll probably do one that goes into each of the players and some of the things there. But I do want to just kind of recap and update where all of these leaks are at the moment here. Because I know I had some messages asking, like, why don't you talk about this one? Why don't you talk about this one? And uh, I will address those very quickly, which is just very simply put, uh, they're hard to follow. It's really hard to keep up with, like, four or five different mini circuit leagues on top of an actual happening league. And when I got to decide when to divvy up time, I'm going to the league that's going to exist next year. Most of the circuit leagues, they're disappearing next year because, you know, the teams will go back to their uh, proper leagues and all of that. Plus, uh, most of them, uh, there's just not a large viewership basis uh, from those places. I look at the demographics. Most of the people that listen are from, generally speaking, northern New Jersey. That's where the primary listenership is from. So I'm going to talk about the leagues that are, you know, established and then the teams in the leagues that are where the listeners are from. So when we just don't have that many people from, say, Sugarland, Texas or Juliet, Illinois or Kentucky in general, uh, there's not much of an incentive to talk about them. I just want to kind of address that that before we dive into all of this. So just a quick recap on all of these leagues and we'll stop and discuss them for a moment and then like I said the player discussions will come in a little bit from now when all the leagues are done and we'll kind of highlight some guys from each of the leagues and you know you know how a review goes yeah yeah so first up we got the Yins League out in Washington Pennsylvania uh we had two Black Sox teams I believe it was the Black Sox proper and baseball brilliance as well as the wild things and the slam and sammies from what I could tell, it appeared that the Slam and Sammies won the league. They were 3-0 and in the postseason. I'm pretty sure that means that they won it. Obviously, this was the league that was shut down, not last week, but the week prior by the Pennsylvania Health Department. But then it wasn't really shut down by the Health Department because the Health Department said we never told them to shut down. We just told them they had to start following the, the guidelines more closely because we got complaints that they weren't. And then we had that whole fiasco there. Um, I wanted to kind of judge some of the players in the league here and kind of give you a sense of, oh, it was a pitcher-friendly league. Oh, it was a batter-friendly league. Oh, there was a bunch of, you know, good whatevers. Um, I really can't. I used baseball reference, and then I used the the Wild Things site themselves, and the stats are just so all over the place. Like, you'll have some teams that don't have a single guy hitting above 300, and then you'll have other teams that don't have a single pitcher with an ERA below four and a half. 
it's just yeah. like such a wild swing across the board as far as stats go. It's really hard to get a read on on the league in general. I mean, uh, congratulations to friend of the show, TJ Zarowitz, for winning the league. And, you know, congrats to Joe Torrey, also a friend of the show, for really putting the whole thing together and working with the wild things. I know he's working with uh, the Empire League now at same ballpark, too. Uh, getting that league up and running for the for the fall or early fall at least so i mean congrats to those guys for putting it together but it's just so hard to gauge this league i i really don't know what to what to say about it yeah uh yeah i kind of I, I kind of agree with you there um <clears throat> it's tough. i i think you mentioned it earlier it's when there's so many leagues in like so many different regions that are just like uh, two to four teams it's tough. It's tough. Uh, it's. I know. I, I'm pretty familiar with the um, with the uh, All American Baseball Challenge as well as the Somerset League. I guess lo- looking at looking at a lot of the scores, it looks pretty uh, pretty offense heavy. I guess. Uh, obviously, it's tough to tell with a sample size of of 16, 17 games. But yeah, I I think you pretty much mentioned it all. It's kind of hard to gauge, but um, it definitely looks like the. Uh, the hitter that it was, I, I would probably say I would probably lean towards, uh, it was an offensive heavy league, which I guess would probably be you could probably guess it would be considering, uh, it was a, a lot of it's thrown together, uh, kind of at the last minute, you don't have as much preparation time as, uh, for pitchers that you would le- normally like to in a, in a frontier league season in an Atlantic league season in a, a regular American association season. But uh, so I think that could be expected, but like you said, it's kind of hard to gauge when, um, like, like this pop-up league and this pop-up league and this pop-up league, which obviously isn't ideal, but that's, that's 2020 for you. Exactly. That and also, I mean, it's really hard to kind of get a, a gauge on the players too. I mean, like, I know, uh, I know a decent amount of them. I, a decent amount of them are actually following us on, uh, on Instagram there, but I, it's just so hard. Like, there's a bunch of guys there. I just don't know. I just have never seen the name. I I have no idea what they're about, what their play style is, and then I don't feel comfortable judging them off of a like you said, such a small sample size, a fifteen game sample size. They go, Oh, they're not that good, oh they're they're great. Like it's hard for me to really say. It's just such a yeah. like and that's gonna be a continuing thing with a lot of these leagues where it's just like from an analytical standpoint, as an analyst, as a commentator, it's really hard to talk about it because it's just like most of these guys are just local dudes that they pulled together in a tryout. So yeah, um, but the one thing I will say though is it, it is going to be interesting to see how many guys come out of these leagues to go play in like the Frontier League next year. That that part is going to be interesting for me. Absolutely, and that's that's going to be kind of when we do our whole indie ball wrap up uh, towards the middle to end of September. That's going to be one of the things that we're going to really talk about. We're going to kind of go into detail about this guy, judging off of what we have here, despite the sample size, he could be a guy that maybe we see on a roster next year and that. But yeah, that's that's definitely going to be something of very very much interest and something of note. Uh, moving to the next league, we have the Battle of the Bourbon Trail. This is a league that was done between the Florence. Uh, contingent in the lexington contingent i'm gonna say because we had the florence freedom florence y'alls lexington legends and lexington i'm gonna butcher it leondes and <laughs> in any case yeah. so some between the lexington milb team and the florence independent team there's 12 games left in it i assume the playoff structure is just top of the league wins it 
Uh, that league ends September 10th, or September 13th, rather. The Florence is Freedom Brandon are Phillips top. Still there. Is Brandon Phillips still playing for one of the Lexington teams, or has he left? I, I believe he's still on the roster. When I looked last night, they have a PDF of the roster. They didn't update or remove his name. So I assume him and Ben Revere are both still on the uh, Lexington teams. Okay, good for him, man. He, the dude just loves baseball. He, he play, he'll play anywhere at any time. I, I love that guy. Absolutely. I mean, like, honestly, I kind of wish he would show up in the Atlantic League. I mean, like, oh, yeah. would anyone be upset if he wound up playing for Gastonia next year? No, no, of course I mean, not. Like, I think people would be. Can, on, can you imagine the autograph madhouse that would be? Honestly, his, I don't think that's a bad first idea. Trip up? Like, one of the things we're, we're going to do eventually when we start getting into the offseason and once we actually, actually we'll probably get the names and stuff fairly soon for Gastonia, once we start getting more information about them, I do want to do one show where we just kind of build the team out. And Brandon Phillips is a name which I honestly think they should consider. He's still mm-hmm. a decent ball player. I mean, he, he's Brandon Phillips. Yeah. And more than that, though, he's a face that you can market in a new team, in a new market, he gets people out to the ballpark, especially after the whole COVID thing. You would hope that by the time the 2021 season, we either have a vaccine or we have some sort of treatment where we can start to go back to normal. Maybe not 100%, but, you know, at least see the light at the end of the tunnel. And if you have Brandon Phillips there, it's a nice draw to the ballpark. You get guys out, you get families out, you get group outings. It, it makes a lot of sense there. Had to use him as the very least as a draw, so I mean, yeah. I, I, honestly, that makes a lot of sense for me if you were to bring Brandon Phillips in, even if you're not playing him every day, even if you're only playing him like two or three times a week, yeah. it's not a terrible I'm, idea. I, I definitely, I definitely agree with you because usually I'm not a huge fan of bringing in a big name just who hasn't played in four years, and then I'm not really, I'm not really one to be a. I mean, I know the fans love it, but I mean, me as like a guy who's like trying to analyze these things, I'm kind of like, eh. But, uh, but for Brandon Phillips, I mean, the dude played in the MLB as recently as 2018, and from at least from everything I've. I've I've seen uh, in his short time in the in the Washington League before. I believe he had to leave due to a family emergency, yep. and now now in uh in the Battle of the Bourbon, he can he can definitely still play, which is um which I, I would love to see Brandon Phillips. Not to mention he uh, he was actually born in Raleigh, North Carolina. So, uh, oh, so, so I'm, I'm I'm not an expert on North Carolina geography. However, what I can tell you is uh he's somewhat of a of, of a local. Um, so I think it could make a lot of sense. It would definitely bring fans out to the ballpark. I know that he has a ton of he has a ton of fans uh, who who love who love Brandon Phillips. So it it would be it'd be great. I think uh, I, I think that'd be a great idea if he if he's down for it. I mean he's thirty nine, so it, it could be definitely reasonable if he kind of hung up his cleats after this year. Mm-hmm. But uh, if he still wants to play, I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, even what would make a lot of sense is if you used him in like a player coach kind of role. Like, that would make a lot of sense, too. I mean, like, obviously, like you say, he's 39. If he doesn't want to do it, everyone would understand why he doesn't want to do it. But, I mean, the dude, if you're playing in little pop-up indie leagues, I mean, I know that his brother works a lot with some of the guys that are involved in the independent pop-up leagues that are happening. Uh, Right. So, that could just be why. You could have just said, hey, man, can you help me out? Can you just come out here really, you know, kind of help the pop-up league thing? 
that could just be the reason why he's coming out. But, I mean, if he's down, that would honestly be a huge draw. I think it could really help get Gastoni on the right track right out the gate, too. But Yeah, I, de- I definitely agree. Looking at baseball reference right now, actually, the... Um he, he he played, I believe, eight games in the Washington League. So yeah, I guess he was there longer than I thought. So I, I wish there were stats for the uh, Battle of the Bourbon. But mm. f- quick quick shout out to Baseball Reference though for trying to keep track for trying to put stats up of like as many pop up indie leagues as possible. To be honest with you, I, that's I, I, that's great stuff from them. To be honest with you. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like to find stats for just this Florence League. All I found was the y'alls and the freedom stats. That's just an Excel spreadsheet on their site, too. Right. Which, yeah, exactly. Yep. Just wrapping the league up here. We got the freedom. They lead. They have a 15 and 5 record. The y'alls are up next, 15 and 7. The legends are 6 and 15. And then the Leandes, which I'm, I assume I'm pronouncing it wrong, but at this point, I don't care because I'm probably not going to mention them again, uh, is 5 and 14. So that's the way that league shakes out. And that league wraps up on the 13th of September. Next yep. up next up is the City of Champions Cup in Juliet, Illinois. This has the Chicago Deep Dish, Juliet Slammers, Nerds Herd, and Tully Monsters. A, a, uh, a name that was poked fun at on this show. There's eight games left. There is no playoffs. The season ends on the 6th of September. So when we record our next episode, this league will just be just about done uh the slammers lead it 16 to 5 tully monsters then are 12 and 9 deep dishes 9 and 13 nerds herd is bringing up the rear at 5 and 15 uh, again i don't know terribly many guys involved in this i know noah vaughn is involved in that which for those that are unaware of noah vaughn he's one of the guys that was a finalist for the saint paul pick who makes the team contest thing He's a decent oh, okay. ball player. Yeah, he's decent there. Uh, I know there was a couple of guys from the American Association that got cut. Uh, Freddie Landers is one of them. Uh, Sherman Graves is another guy. Uh, they were originally going to be in the American Association this year. They got cut about 10 games, or not 10 games, 10 days into the season. And then they wound up just going and playing uh, in the Juliet League this year. So uh, there's talent there. I haven't watched much of it. Actually, I haven't watched any of it because they wanted to shake me down for sixty dollars to stream uh to stream the games, and I'm not paying you sixty dollars to stream this when I am paying twenty dollars to watch. To be quite honest, better quality baseball, or I could be watching the AABC free. So I mean, uh, I don't know too much about it, but it it's there. It wraps up in a week, so. Yeah, I'm the one, the one, the one guy I do want to bring up is the guy who's actually leading the, uh, leading that league in, uh, in batting Eric Osberg. Uh, he's actually currently, uh, in the Rays organization. He was drafted, uh, he was drafted in the 13th round by the Rays in the 2017 MLB draft. And he's, uh, he's really put up terrific numbers, uh, hitting 410 with a, uh, 1141 OPS and three home runs. So. You're right. Not really a, a ton of names. I know I, I probably could research more, uh, look, look more into it, but, um, but yeah, so it wraps up in a, wraps up in a week. So 
we'll see what happens. Exactly. So that league exists, and again, we'll go into the deep dive on all the players and whatnot uh, on our wrap-up show in about a month. Then we have the All-American Baseball Challenge. That one's mainly based out of New York, New Jersey. That's got the New York Boulders, New York Braves, Sussex County Miners, Sussex Cardinals, New Jersey Jackals, and Jersey Wise Guys. There are six games left in that league, and the playoffs are the top four. That starts on the 10th of September, and then the proper regular season will end four days prior to that. There's a three days worth of playoff games, if I am correct on that. Yeah, and, I think I think that's right. Yep, and as of right now, we have the Sussex County Miners. They are twelve and five. They lead the way. The New York Boulders. They are eleven and six. Then we have the the New York Brave nine and eight. The Jackals are seven and nine. The Wise Guys are seven and ten, and the Cardinals are five and thirteen. I believe. Uh, minor legend and former New Jersey blaster, and we will get to the blasters in the Somerset League in just a moment. Uh, Martin Figueroa is now joining the minors as well, so that's good for him. Awesome. He comes back there, and uh, he's arguably the most important or most prominent player in the franchise's history to this point. Yeah, no, I mean M- Martin Figueroa. I- I'll save that for the Somerset for the- when we talk about the Somerset League, just because he-, he really impressed there. But I, I have actually I have gotten a chance to to watch some some games in the All American Baseball Challenge. I actually will be heading up to Rockland later today to go check out uh, the matchup between the Brave and the Wise guys. Uh, so specific specifically, there's a lot of guys who were uh, some were si- actually signed in the Atlantic League, like uh, William Salas, who plays for yep. the Wise guys, was signed uh, with the York Revolution. Oh well, actually, a guy that the Wise guys just signed. Um, who was uh, managed by um, good fr- I know good friend of the show, good friend of mine, Scott Eiselhart. Uh, they brought in Taylor Motter, who actually started this year in Korea, uh, struggled there, and was ended up being released after a couple weeks. But he played he played with the New Britain Bees last year. He's a former big leaguer with the Twins and the Mariners. Really big name. Exci- I'm really excited to watch him later today. The for the Boulders, I know Frank Nigro, who's yeah. a uh, was yeah. a catcher with the Rockers last season and i definitely there's definitely more there's definitely more guys that are right on the tip of my tongue but i just can't remember it however i know we'll talk about we'll talk about them more uh next week so it's 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 a pretty good league honestly like i've uh i've had the chance to go i love the home run derby i actually went to a game between the wise guys and the jackals a couple weeks ago ended up going to a home run derby uh i i think the home run derby is awesome like especially in like these little pop-up leagues where the games don't really matter it's really fun especially when pitching is kind of um there's not as many pitchers that you don't really have the pitching depth that a normal indie ball team would have. So I, I, I love the home run derbies. It's uh, d- definitely a lot of fun. So yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how the league shakes out. I'm definitely, like I said, definitely excited to watch uh, Taylor Motter and the wise guys today take on the brave. For that league, it does have a, an awful lot of value or an awful lot of talent in it. And it's a, uh, it's a quality league. I mean, you look up and down the rosters, there's a lot of really, really talented guys. Cito Culver wound up going there after he got released from Fargo moorhead so i mean there's obviously a lot of talent and when we do our wrap-up show we'll obviously talk more in depth about each of the teams and everything but uh, as it stands right now i believe it is the miners and the jackals and the boulders and the brave that will wind up playing in the 
in the championships or in the playoffs rather and then we'll see who makes the playoffs from there uh any case we go now to the second to last uh, league that we're going to cover the constellation energy league in sugarland texas it has the skeeters eastern reyes del tigre Sugarland's Lightning Slots and Team Texas. I know they just gave up on the creativity when they hit Texas. Five games yeah. left. Sugarland apparently has already won the league, that being the Skeeters, uh, from at least what I can tell on their social media. So good on them. Uh, their season officially ends on August the 30th, so Sunday. It will end. Uh, 15 and 9 is the Skeeters record as it sits today. Everyone else is around 500. Uh, we can go into details, but I mean, that's basically what it is. This has probably been the league with the most talent out of them all. They've For had sure. about five contracts purchased so far. One of their guys has already made it to the major leagues. They've had a lot of eyes on him. I didn't even realize Brandon Beachy pitched there, but he was there yeah. for a hot moment. Uh, didn't do well, but he was there. And, uh, yeah, no, when you look up and down the rosters here, there's a lot of talent here. So, yeah. so many talents, so many big names. The, if, it, if they didn't make you pay like, like 50, 60 bucks to watch, uh, to, to watch these games i would be all over it and watching uh, watching all of these games but there, there's there's a ton of talent uh there's actually been two guys who pitched uh who started in this league this year and are pitching in the mlb brett eibner being one who currently uh is a reliever for the marlins and chase de young was actually called up by the astros oh yeah you're right uh, other, you're right the, the other day so two guys just that just shows you how how talented this how ridiculously talented this league is i mean I was even watching um, a KBO game in Korea, and they brought on a scout for one of the Korean teams and said, "Yeah, we're we're it, we're looking at the Sugarland League. That that's a that's a league we're we're actively scouting." So, which I found really interesting. And there's there's a lot of big names as far as who's managing. Obviously, Roger Clemens being the most prominent name out of out of that group. Uh, as well as uh, former former Yankee pitching coach Dave Island, former Mac um, pitching um, coach too, a former Mac pitching coach as well. Sorry, and also Mike. he was with the Royals, and he went a World Series with the Royals too. Uh I thought he was with them in sure. fifteen. I'm not sure who their pitching coach. Well, he was there. You saying he's their pitching coach in fifteen? He was either their pitching coach or he was there in fifteen. I'm pretty sure that's what. I because okay. I don't think he was with the Mets in fifteen. I know after the Royals, he went to the Mets. Yeah, not any, not sure, but anyway, yeah. there's a lot of talent. I would have loved to watch more more games if it wasn't so damn expensive. But uh, definitely, definitely a league to watch if you're in the Texas area. I definitely recommend. You'd see some really, really high quality baseball down there. Exactly, and this is the last weekend of it. So if you want to get out to it, get out to it now. Otherwise, you're going to miss that opportunity. I believe uh, when this comes out, the last two games, so the last two days rather, uh, Saturday and Sunday, I believe they're both double header days. So everybody's playing. So you got a good yeah. opportunity to get out there and see some baseball. Uh, yeah. Now we go to the final league, the Somerset Baseball Series in Somerset, New Jersey, and it had the Somerset Patriots and the New Jersey Blasters. Uh, Somerset wound up winning the championship nine and four from the Blasters. Yeah, it had some names. It had uh, obviously Brandon Liebrandt being the most prominent. He's obviously pitched in the major leagues this year now. Martin Figueroa played very well. And when I was looking through the stats, uh, Shane Fontana looked like he played well uh dan valario looked like he did well uh but outside of that there is uh outside of the names we mentioned there's a cast and crew in that league 
Yeah, so here's what I'll say, because I, I was at pretty much every... I, I do live right near Somerset, so <laughs> I was at pretty much all of those games. Uh, well, basically, the pitching was really good. Like, the, even the talent... Like, I knew this coming in when I was researching the rosters. The pitching was really, really good. Uh, the hitting outside of a couple guys... Uh, Martin Figueroa, who actually ended up winning the MVP, he's definitely, uh, definitely had a great performance, a great, uh, five weeks there. Glad to hear he's, he's still playing. I can't believe he's not in an MLB organization. I have no idea why the Cardinals cut him after being an all-star in the New York Penn League last year, but that's a different rant for another time. Uh, and you, you mentioned Shane Fontana. He's actually current, um, a current minor leaguer in the Orioles system. So he, he took advantage of the rule that let, uh, minor leaguers who are not in the 60 man pool play indie ball this year. Uh, but other than, and Dan Valerio was actually supposed to, he was supposed to be, he was signed to play in the Frontier League this year. I don't yep. remember which team. I think but it I was Gateway. Was, I think it was Gateway. gateway. Okay. I don't, I don't know for certain. I think it was Gateway yeah. though. I, I knew I knew he was I knew he was signed somewhere in the Frontier League, so he definitely he looked impressive as well. I, I, and the rest of the rest of the offense, you have a lot of guys who uh, just graduated college, maybe raked in Division Two, II, Division Three. So it, it was quite it was quite the range of talent on the offensive side. But the pitching was really good. You you had you had guys like like David Kubiak, uh, even though he didn't fare too well, as he uh, eloquently put. On his Instagram, he was very happy that baseball was back, but even happier that these stats don't go on baseball reference. So, <laughs> so as he, as the eloquent uh, David Kubiak put it, he's mm. awesome. But uh, yeah. anyway, uh, other guys that did really well. I mean, Billy Lane Jr., yeah, uh, guy well. who was formerly in the uh, in the Texas Rangers system, pitched really well. Max Herman, who pitched in AAA for the Angels last year. Uh, former Seton Hall star really did well. Uh, also, uh, you got guys like Taylor Wright who were signed, who was signed to Somerset this year, did well. Nate Rowe, James Pugliese, a lot of, a lot of names that Somerset Patriot fans definitely know did really well. Even, even Vin Mazzaro, uh, Vin Mazzaro had one bad start to, to end his season, but was otherwise very good, uh, pitched for the Ducks last year as Ducks fans well know and was probably their ace on their team, leading them to a championship. So yeah, it was super pitching heavy. All game, all pretty much every game was like two to one or one. Like the final game was one nothing. I kind of knew that coming in, but the, the pitching, the pitching was definitely re- really fun to watch. Yeah, no, it was a it was a solid pitching league, and obviously, like I said, the hitting kind of was all over the place. But uh, it, it yeah. wasn't good. Yeah, no, I'll well, say it, it wasn't good. <laughs> Yeah. So with that, we kind of wrap up all the all the circuit leagues, and obviously we'll break down each of the players and and how it all goes, and some notable guys, notable moments, all that when we wrap up independent league baseballs. Very unorthodox, and that's saying something if we're saying it's unorthodox for indie ball. Uh, their 2020 season in September, once all the leagues are done, and we can look back and all the players and just kind of dissect everything. But uh, the last thing I do want to cover today, and we'll we'll try to be quick about it here, because I'm noticing my board's running out of battery, and we are running a bit long here. But I do want to cover it today. It's kind of this MLB umbrella plan thing. Uh, I went on a whole big tangent about it not terribly long ago. Actually, there's a whole thread of me bitching about it on Twitter, and 
essentially major league baseball just wants their thumb and everything uh they want mm-hmm. fewer rounds to a draft and the later start they want to work closer with the usa baseball softball and ncaa they want to basically just control all the minor league teams they want to reclassify indie leagues have more input in their decisions uh, long and short of it is they just want to basically have everything under this uh, major league umbrella and it's just you know i don't I don't know what to make of it. I'm not sure if this is the best course of action. Obviously, we try to look at things from the perspective of the independent league teams here and what this means for them. Uh, we talked about it a lot before we went on the show, and one of those things that we were saying was, you know, uh, what does this really mean for all the independent leagues? We know maybe this is just the Atlantic League. The graphic just has the Atlantic League logos, and maybe that's all they view it as. Maybe it's all the leagues. How much is this different from what's currently the situation in the Atlantic League with the partnership? Is this now going to be a kind of a thing for all these other leagues? And, and are all these other leagues going to go along with it? Are they going to be on board for it? Because I can't imagine a lot of them are going to jump on board with that kind of an idea. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. It just seems like the MLB wants their hand in everything, but then they don't want to pay for it because they're trying to cut costs in a lot of ways uh, in, in the developmental area of the game, which I'm not really a fan. I'm not really a huge fan of. I, I think the thing as far as um, the thing people need to understand as far as what this could mean for independent league baseball is the, the most important thing is that it would be much easier for independent league teams to become affiliated because currently there's different uh, ter- there's different territorial rights that prevent uh, that prevent just any any old team from from becoming an affiliate of a major league of a major league team. Specifically, I, I think a real good example of that would be Long Island. Long Island is obviously very very close to the Mets, but um, they th- because of territorial rights, there there isn't a team like the Red Sox couldn't come in and say, hey, we want to make Long Island an affiliate. Uh, so. Under this plan, they would tear up pretty much all the territorial rights, and it could potentially, if this, if the agreement between the MLB and MILB were to expire on September 30th, it could potentially result in what's essentially kind of a, a free for all. I don't really know how else to, how else to put it because because with no territorial rights and te- pretty much every team not named St. Paul would probably be into becoming affiliated. Obviously, we've heard in the rumors uh, Sugarland and Somerset being the most prominent names that have been uh, that have come out through the media. It was, it's not great as far as the, stabil- the stability of indie ball. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of question marks, a lot of uncertainty, and honestly, I don't really know how any of the leagues are going to look next year. It's going to I, I truly have no idea, and that's the first time I think any of us can say that at the end of at the end of the season, which is so it, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to watch. I think after I think once we get into October, things are gonna start rolling and we'll start getting more answers. But as of right now, we're kind of in the dark about a lot of things. Yeah, and there's no real incentive for Major League Baseball to cut a deal any sooner than October 1st. I mean, why would you help out Major League Baseball or Minor League Baseball when you've openly said, we'd like to have the minor leagues just in our system? That's our yeah. ideal way of doing things. Why why not just work it out with each of the individual operators? It seems a lot easier 
from the perspective of working out your affiliates and we know that each of these clubs wants all their affiliates closer to them i promised i would bring up on the show that the the rumor of trenton becoming unaffiliated and somerset affiliating with the yankees i hadn't heard that uh i i have heard that i i i haven't put a ton of I, I, I've heard it from multiple people that that's a possibility. However, it'd be such a drastic, uh, it'd be such a drastic move. I, I'd kind of wait on, I, I'd wait, I'd hold off until like completely putting all your chips into, into that basket. There's still a lot of, there's, there's, it's still definitely a rumor at this point. It's definitely not anything. Um, it, it, I've heard it from multiple people. So it's, it's definitely, some even though it's kind of weird because it's not like Trenton's ballpark is bad, so it, 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 there has to be more under potentially more underlying issues that we don't know about with that ownership group. I or, mean, from or any sort. You go ahead. Yeah, from an anal- from just an, an objective perspective, if you look at it like this, you go. Somerset's committed to already making improvements over the next twenty five years to their ballpark. They have the the firm intention of improving that ballpark every single year and adding on to it. Plus you look at it like this, you know that the ownership group that is in Somerset is stable. They're reliable. They put on 25 great years of baseball and they've essentially helped build the league from nothing. They're a cornerstone there. They're a safe, reliable bet. If you're going to make a switch. Plus, if you want to just look at the areas that surround it, I'm not sure how easy it is to get to the ballpark in Trenton. I've never been, but I can imagine it's not that much more diff. It can't be much easier, I should say, than it is to get over to Somerset. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. a pain in the ass when you go it's over. Not, it's not. It's not. It's definitely Somerset is definitely easier to get to. I think the at least the way I go to Trenton, it's not. It's not bad. But if if you like, if you were to take the way of like driving through the city, then yeah, it's kind of a pain. But I, I think I think I, I prefer I think Somerset's a better park than Trenton, but it's def- but you're right. I think uh, a team like the Yankees could look at uh, such a stable ownership group like the Califers and say, well, there's not really any risk there. Of course, we don't know all the details of what's going on in Trenton, but um, it, it, it would really be something if uh, then you could probably uh, start talking about Trenton becoming going into any ball, but. My goodness, like there's so many moving pieces right now or rumors. Yeah, it's so hard to predict it. It really is hard to predict it. But the only other thing I will say that works against Trenton and works for Somerset, if that were to happen and why you say it's just a rumor. But the more I think about it through logically, the more I'm like, you know, it's not a not that far out there of a rumor. You're not drawing a lot of people in from the suburbs to go to Trenton for a night game. That's just the way it is. Somerset, you don't have that problem. You have a very middle to upper middle class around Somerset that you can easily get in there. Trenton, and, and not as much the case. Right off a, it's right off a major highway. Yeah. It's so it's so easy to get to. You can get to it from from North Jersey, from South Jersey. Obviously I live in Central Jersey. Yes it exists. It and, does not uh, exist. What, Nick, don't 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 even it doesn't exist. It's northwest east it's north, south, east and west. Oh my all right. Okay. That uh, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not. We, we can talk about this after. This is a bonus podcast. One time where we just bitch about New Jersey things. <laughs> there you go. But, but regardless, yeah, like it makes sense. There's a the long and short of it is, 
They're both about as easy to get to. They're both basically the same ballpark. It comes down to ownership structure, which you'd like. Uh, Trenton's obviously, I don't know that much about their structure, but I do know Somerset has said, look, we're spending money on our ballpark. And that action alone is encouraging to, you know, major league ownership. And also from just a monetary standpoint, I imagine Trenton, you get a decent mix of both New York and Philly fans. Now, granted, I don't think who your parent club is really affects who's going to the games. I don't think it matters that much. But what it does matter is how much money do those people that go to those games have to spend. And I feel like the answer is the people that go to Somerset have more money to spend than the people that go to the Trenton game. And I think when you just break it down to economics, I think Somerset is probably in a better spot economically than Trenton is. I just kind of base that off of who goes to the games and who is most likely to go to all of the games. And I feel like Somerset ends up winning that one. Now, I will say, though, if Somerset does leave, that's a major problem, especially if yeah. Sugarland leaves like we all kind of expect them to do at this point. And I just I do wonder what the landscape looks like five years from now. 10 years from now, 15 years from now, I really wonder what that landscape of baseball in general looks like. Because, I mean, I mentioned it earlier and we're going to talk about it now, even if it's just briefly. As I know, this is a bit of a longer show than usual, but I'm fine going long on, on topics like this, which is just baseball has an older demographic. They've seemingly muddled just about everything so far this year. I mean... You can make a very good argument as to whether or not they should even be playing. Then you can make a very good argument that both the players and the owners screwed this up tremendously. The owners by playing hardball in the dumbest way possible. And the players by refusing to do a bubble when a bubble is clearly what you need. I mean, look at the NBA and the NHL. They both have a bubble. And with the exception of one or two isolated instances in the NBA, the bubbles have held very strong. Like, there hasn't been an outbreak. There's been, what, a couple guys had to go into quarantine because they left the bubble down in Disney World? Yeah. Outside outside of that, nothing. There hasn't been any positive cases on either front. So the bubble clearly works, and you could have easily done that in, like, L.A., in New York, and Chicago. Like, you could have had three major, three bubbles. If you needed a fourth, you could probably have worked... If they didn't do the renovation to the old Rangers ballpark, you could have put one in Dallas too. But even still, you could have had three or four different ballparks and had, okay, the Eastern divisions play out of this, out of these two ballparks, the NL and the AL ballpark. Okay. The Central divisions play here. The Western divisions play here. You could have worked something like that, but they just kind of muddled it. So there's a very good case that they shouldn't even be playing like they are right now with the various outbreaks they've had. Then you have seemingly them enforcing unwritten rules for no reason whatsoever in the dumbest way possible. You have the Astros not punished at all for what they did. Now, granted, I don't really care so much what the Astros did. It doesn't really affect me as a Met fan. I suppose I should be annoyed because of the fact they were just cheating. But to be quite honest, I I, I care a lot. Uh, The Red Sox got beat in the playoffs that year. so Yeah, I bet that sucks for you. Yeah, I mean... You also look at what happened. I'm not sure how familiar with our 
uh, with it on your, uh, your your MLB strikes because of the DH. But, oh yeah, um, that, that also remember that also reminds me all the dumbass rules they put in here with the seven inning double okay. headers, universal DH, and the and the extra inning rule that seemingly they ever, have to, but they had to do seven inning double headers. Like, see, with, that's with the, thing. the amount of games they had to make up. Yeah, like I don't blame them for that. I agree with that stuff. I agree with a lot of. I agree with all the rule changes they made, with the exception of the DH. That one I don't like at all. I don't see that speeds up play at all. I don't see how that improves anything whatsoever. Just just pisses off NL fans. That's all it does. It, it, but the, it improves so many things. I have not missed watching pitchers hit at all this year. Well, you're an AL fan as it is, so I mean, you really went to begin yeah. with. But regardless of that fact, the, the DH discussion is one for another time. But the end of the day is you changed a lot of shit really quickly when people didn't want anything to change whatsoever. So it's, mm-hmm. there's just so much they did and so much they've screwed up doing. And not all of it was intentional, but a lot of it seemed like they screwed it up and they didn't really care about the, the effect that comes back on the fans. And I just don't, like, I do wonder, and it may be a bit hyperbolic, but I do wonder what place baseball has going forward. We know the NBA is more popular. We know football is more popular. Hockey and lacrosse, they're getting more popular. Soccer is getting more popular. They're creeping up on it. I'm like, baseball will always exist. People talk about like, oh, isn't the death of baseball all sorts of crap like that. And baseball won't die. There is always going to be a hard sect for it. But I do believe that if they keep screwing up, they choose not to adapt, they keep enforcing the dumb unwritten rules and whatnot, like with the whole... Joe Kelly thing with throwing at him, giving him eight games for that in a 60-game season, which was way excessive. And then the whole Tatis thing to there, which, like, again, I don't understand why it was that big of a deal. He swung at a pitch. It shouldn't be a big deal at all. Exactly. He swung at a pitch. Like, I, the only reason why I was like, I'm not that big on it is because it was a 3-0 count. It worked out for him because, I mean, he had a grand slam, but at the same time, it's like, it's a 3-0. It's 3-0. Maybe you want to take a strike. But that's just an old school mindset I have on that matter. It's not like I have some sort of problem that he, he disgraced the game by swinging 3-0. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. I just would have taken a strike there. Obviously, he found the pitch he liked on that pitch, so he swung. That's literally all I have. That's my only objection with the whole thing here. But people that make it like this big thing, also with the bat flipping, apparently that still has some resistance. Then the whole let the kids play but don't actually let them play thing. Major League Baseball seemingly is just thumbing their nose at younger viewership going, no, we're going to do it the old way and you're going to like it because every other generation's like it. It's like, no, this is how you die. This is how you don't adapt. And like I said, baseball won't ever die. There's always going to be a hardcore sect for it. But at the same time, if they want to continue to ignore what people want and what the younger people that are eventually going to become the people paying for your product want, eventually they're going to find out that they're not as popular and they're going to be taking a lot less revenue. And it goes directly back to their playing games with the minor league baseball. That's where people become fans of baseball at local minor league parks. As I said, 90% of baseball fans don't live near a major league ballpark. They live at least 90 minutes away from it. They don't become fans by going to to the Cardinal game or to the Red Sox game. They become fans by going to the Burlington Royals game or the Cyclone game or to whatever local minor league team it is. 
And that yeah. just excludes the fact that it's expensive to root for a major league team. If you want a jersey, a hat, on that alone, right now, you're looking at about 200 bucks for that stuff alone. Even if you want just a shirt and a hat, you're looking at probably around 50 bucks. So it's not like right. it's exactly cheap. Like, just minor league baseball is the gateway into baseball. And the fact that they're just so dead set on eliminating teams to save themselves some money now, it's going to come back to bite them. It, I just don't see how it doesn't. And it, like, it's not even that hard to fix this. I'll let you yeah. get in there because I've been talking and ranting now for like a solid five minutes in a row, but <laughs> I, I'm going to go on my rant on how to fix it in just a minute anyway. I agree with you. I think it's, um, it, the, the baseball needs to be able to change. And I think just with the whole prioritizing, um, cut, cutting spending and stuff like that, it, I think there's other things. Listen, if you want to completely restructure the minor leagues, completely change all the affiliates, completely change all the leagues just to make it so you're not spending as much money in travel uh, between the teams. Uh, and uh, and you might, oh, maybe the International League doesn't look how it did, uh, doesn't look how it normally does. The South Atlantic League doesn't look how it normally does. I am all for it. If you want, If you want to find a way to cut costs by – reducing travel and literally changing all the affiliates and the leagues. I have no issue with that. No issue with that whatsoever mm-hmm. because Fresno should like Fresno, California should not be the triple A affiliate of the Washington nationals. It doesn't make any sense. So yeah. if you want to completely change all that around, I think you could cut a good amount of cost doing that. And I think it makes a lot of sense. However, when you, when you're looking at completely eliminating like 50 different minor, or excuse me, like 42 different minor league markets. And if, and that's just if they, if they don't want to, and that's if they, they're not adding any indie ball teams. If they want to add two to three of those, and then you're talking about cutting 45 different markets. It, it's just, it's not a smart thing. It's, they talk about how they want to bring, um, younger viewers into the game, but their actions speak louder than their words and they, their actions don't back it up. And it's, just, it's really that simple. It's like, and all they have to really do is first off, you stop the whole, the first thing you do is you stop radically changing things because radically changing things is just annoying people that already like the game. And I understand there's the mindset of, look, if they're bitching about this, they're not leaving because clearly they care enough not to leave. I get that mindset. But at the same time, you can gradually work things in. You can't work in three major rule changes and then just kind of be like, yeah, they're there. We did them in the past. Now we're going to do them full time over the course of three years. Like, to be honest, do we expect them to go back to the way extra innings has worked? Ten years from now, do we expect to not be a runner on second base to start extra innings? I really hope not. That, that that's the rule I can't stand. I couldn't stand it in the Atlantic League last year. I couldn't stand it in minor league baseball, and I certainly can't stand it in the MLB. Oh, with the way they want to cut game times, you get ready for that because that rule is going to be around very soon. Very soon is that rule going to be there? Then the whole seven inning doubleheader thing. I don't expect that to stay because there really just isn't any doubleheaders in Major League Baseball. There's no reason to keep it. But I wouldn't be surprised to see things like that pickoff rule get implemented. The one we saw last year in the Atlantic League. Wouldn't Mm -hmm. be surprised to see that make its way over. Because the way that, for for whatever reason, Manfred is doing this. And I'm just going to use his name, but he represents the owners here. So they are not, they're not innocent in this at all. He's just the guy they picked to take the blows. But... The way Manfred goes about doing this is called people want to see stuff happen on their screen. People want a faster game. So we'll just get rid of all the 
We'll get rid of the strategy aspects. And we'll get rid of the shift because that will increase offense. We'll make it so it's easier to steal bases. We'll encourage people to hit home runs because this is what people want. We'll juice the balls and, you know, what it is is what it is. But the thing is, people just want to see something competitive. People, right. do, do I care if it's 3-2 or 13-12? No. If it's a competitive game, it's a competitive game. It doesn't matter to me how we got there. But, right. like, like, all you would have to do, first off, like I said, you stop with the drastic rule changes. You gradually work them in over time, and you don't do anything too extravagant. Things like the three-batter minimum, that's not bad. That's a decent rule. Because there, I will say that's the one thing that takes you out of a game is when one guy comes in, faces two guys, comes right out. Third, now new pitcher comes in, faces one guy, he comes out for another guy. It's stupid. It takes up a lot of time and it's not necessary. Pick the guy you want to throw the ball. Simple as that. Then, second thing here, they need to market their stars. Like, my God, do they do a terrible job at marketing major league stars? Like, I, I do really want to know, is Mike Trout a, a household name? He's probably... Yeah, he, he is. Like, that's the thing, though. Like, he is to baseball fans. But to the general public, if you said, who's Mike Trout, would they know? Oh, he plays for the Angels. I honestly don't think that's the case. And if so, he's probably the only one here. I guarantee you, if you went out and you just... If you stood on Main Street of the town you live in, and you went up and you asked, do you know who Max Scherzer is? Do you know who Jacob DeGrom is? Do you know who Juan Soto is? Do you know who Jack Flattery is? Do you know who... Do you know who Mookie Betts is even? I guarantee you, at least half of them will have no idea. But if you went up and you said, do you know who... Let's see, Donovan Mitchell is. They would know off the bat. Do you know who Kristaps Przingis is? They would know. Do you know who Luka Donick is? Do you know who Jason Tatum is? They would yeah. know. Hell, it would even work decently for if you went for NHL. And they're clearly the bottom four of the top at the major four. If you said, do you know who Connor McDavid is? Do you know who Crosby is? Do you know who Ovechkin is? Do you know who Patrick Kane is? Do you know who Jonathan Taves is? Like, they would know those names. Now, you start to really get into the weeds here because baseball, because hockey is, like I said, it's the bottom of the four major, although it's my favorite with the four major. But if you went with football, same boat. You can ask about young football stars. People would know it. With baseball, there just isn't. People don't know. If you ask who Juan Soto is, they'd have no idea. And that's a major problem for them. Plus the fact that most of their stars don't have much personality and the ones that do have personality are apparently being punished for showing any sort of personality also works against them. So that's yeah. something that's major needs to be fixed. Then also another thing that could also help a lot is you stop screwing with the minor leagues. And by stop screwing with them, I mean don't contract them and also help them out. Give them some money. You can't just demand that they fund everything in their stadium and then not give them any aid and then go, oh, by the way, we need you to dump $3 million in for, the, for a weight room. It, it, it doesn't work like that. It can't work yeah. like that. Like, there's just so many different things that they could do that would make it so much more appealing. Also, they could go heavier into, like, streaming and making it easier to watch games and whatnot. Agreed. They, they, like, honestly, we could fill a whole episode with me just complaining about this. So, yeah, I'll just kind no, of wrap I, it I, off I here. I, I, think, I think you're right about a, a lot of those things. I think the big one for me is 
that blackouts are more uh, the, the the blackouts are more restrictive in the MLB than they are in any other sport. The M- the NBA doesn't care who takes their content, and the uh, and, and the MLB has like, for example, like if I want to screen record a highlight on MLB TV, uh, which I have to watch the Red Sox, they would like it would like my phone wouldn't do it because it doesn't let you do it. it it's and then the NBA is is just like like begging people to take their content, and that's why their 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 um, their viewership is increasing among younger younger viewers because they see it on social media, and baseball is not as much. So, I mean that that's my big thing. But I, I think you're right about about all the things you were talking about uh, b- beforehand for sure. Yeah, there's just so much that, like I said, I mean, how we filled about a half hour of just that. So, I mean. Uh, I'll, I'll kind of wrap it off there before I start really going off on the tangent. Plus, we're at nearly the uh, hour 40 mark here. So I suppose jumping into plugs and getting out of here is a good idea because I'll be editing this for days now. So if you like what you heard, you can follow the show wherever you find uh, podcasts. So tune in, Stitcher, Spotify, Podomatic, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Really, like I said, wherever you find podcasts, you can find the show. If you want to follow us more, you can follow us on Instagram at Indie Ball Report and at ALPB underscore news on Instagram. You can check there for that. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at Indie Ball Pod on Twitter. And then if you want to find all our content, all the links, uh, we have videos, we have articles, probably have more content like that coming up once the season kind of wraps up. You can find the show notes too, which has all the links to everything we mentioned in the show today. That is on the website, uh, IndieBallReport.com. Uh, with that said, I don't think I have any plugs left. So do you have anything else left to add? No, nope, I think we I think we covered it all. Yeah, but I thought this was a pretty good episode. We covered a lot of ground and uh, hopefully everyone will enjoy it. Uh, sorry so with that said nothing else left to add don't forget to play ball